You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. And we're back with a brand new blast from the past with the latest and greatest episode of 80s Revisited. This week we're talking about the lovely Heathers of the film Heathers, which came out March 31st, 1989, just two days after the 61st Annual Academy Awards, which the best picture was. <coughs> Tune in to find out on 80s Revisited. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Dear Diary, Heather told me she teaches people real life. She said, real life sucks losers dry. If you want to fuck with the eagles, you have to learn to fly. And if you want to podcast with the greats, you gotta come over to Jesse's on a Sunday afternoon and record a new episode of 80s Revisited. Yeah. Which- which is exactly what's happening right now. Welcome back, everybody. I've, I, of course, am one of, of your, well, basically the only host now. Just, yeah. <laughs> I just miss, I just, every time I come here, I look at this empty mic and just think of what was and what could be. But yeah. some people just don't like to talk about movies. But maybe we'll remedy that soon. Who knows? Anyway, of course, I am Trey Harris. And with me, as always, my loyal producer, not named Heather, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And we're going to talk about the black comedy, the dark comedy. One of the darkest ones out there, Heathers. Uh, Heathers was released March 31st, 1989. IMDb gives it a 7.3. Rotten Tomatoes, 95% critics, 84% audience. Estimated 3 million budget, opened at $177,000. Whoa! Uh, in the week that it opened, uh, it was number... It, I mean, it didn't even chart in the top 10. And Rain Man was number one... <coughs> excuse me, number one... Uh, after having been out 16 weeks, Holy Rain Man was number one again. But that was because it released, Heathers came out on March 31st, and the week before, we had the uh, little spoiler for In the Real World, uh, two days before Heathers released, the 61st Annual Academy Awards, and Rain Man won Best Picture. Ah. So therefore, this was opening weekend was all about the re-release of Rain Man. Back when that meant so much more than it does now. Yep, actually did... <laughs> and also because they had to re-release it because it wasn't, you know, nowadays by the time something, the, uh, the Academy Awards roll around, everything's already out on digital or right. DVD or actually pretty much usually at least digital. Mm-hmm. And then like they might hold the physical release so they can slap that winner of five Academy Awards. Right. Or in the case of La La Land, winner of five scratch, sorry, four Academy right. Awards or however <laughs> many it was. Uh, reference of this year's or last year's Academy Awards, but uh, anyway, went on domestically to gross only 1.1 million and only about an additional 40,000 overseas. Uh, I couldn't find any information on rentals because I believe that would have probably been the most interesting number in there right. because Heather's has since become a bona fide cult classic. Uh, directed by Michael Lehman, he also did Airheads and Hudson Hawk. So he kind of kept his trend alive of (laughs) movies that weren't successful at the box office. However, it was written by Daniel Waters, who also did arguably the best Batman movie, Batman Returns, All Hail Michelle Pfeiffer, and Demolition Man, All Hail Sandra Bullock. Uh, And Let's see. Of course, Winona Ryder, the lovely, the beautiful Winona Ryder, still lovely and beautiful, making weird faces while other people accept awards. Uh, as Veronica, of course, Edward Scissorhands, Beetlejuice, most notably recently, Stranger Things, and in about a month and a half, Stranger Things Season 2, looking really forward to that, as I'm sure a lot of the listeners that 
I talk to on a regular basis are as well. Mm-hmm. And the great, or should I say great Christian Slater as JD, <coughs> uh, Broken Arrow, Interview of the Vampire, Pump Up the Volume, uh, Mr. Robot on TV is kind of, I hear yeah. he's, actually hear he's, I, I, don't, I don't watch that show. But I've heard, A, the show's good and that he's actually really good in it. Yeah. But I personally never checked it out. As good as it gets. Oh, wait, no, that's the other one. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the real guy. <laughs> yeah. More on that in the trivia. Uh, Shannon Doherty uh, is Heather Duke, of course, 90210. Uh, and I think she recently kind of beat the cancer she was fighting, uh, last I heard. I'm not sure. I, don't, I just see what comes up on Facebook, and that's what I base all my opinions and <laughs> facts on when it comes to actresses from... 90s primetime soap operas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lizanne Falk was Heather McNamara. She was also in Say Anything. And Kim Walker was Heather Chandler. And she was also in Say Anything and also The Outsiders. And most notably also in the cast, Glenn Shaddix, Father Ripper, along with Winona Ryder, Beetlejuice, who was also, and also Demolition Man and the Stephen King 90s, not classic, but when his movie started to go really downhill, Sleepwalkers, uh, which also mm-hmm. had Mad Genamic from... Uh, Twin Peaks. So yeah, Heather's. This was a film I didn't. I never understood it as a kid. I was just like, wow, she's pretty. <laughs> like wow, you know, like it's good enough right, for me right now. You know, like because uh, this uh, around the time this was on TV or TBS or one of those other channels where it played repeatedly or not repeatedly, but every now and then to where you, you know you catch and like, oh, what's this? Oh, that she's pretty. You know, being a not me being a nine year old, mm-hmm. and then like, wait a second, that's the same girl from Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> she's so much prettier as a brunette like and I was like wow and then Beetle wait there's Beetlejuice too when you put the pieces together as a kid you know this is pre-IMDB yeah so it's more so when you go to the video store and you're reading the box Winona Ryder yeah she's she's cool I like her yeah oh wait that's her wow okay yeah I'm a, I'm a Winona Ryder fan uh, so but being a night I don't even know I, I, honestly I probably didn't see this technically in the 80s obviously because it came out in 89 in March of 89 so it probably didn't even come out to VHS until the tail end of 89 and uh, into the early 90s, which probably around maybe at least a year or two later was probably when it started making the cable circuits. So it was probably around 12 or so. So I had that experience of Edward Scissorhands a plethora of times. Beetlejuice, even more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Heather's was just like more so, for me, being a coming, a, a growing boy mm-hmm. was more so one of those films like, yep, hot, I like, I like this. <laughs> And then it gets kind of actiony at the end. <laughs> but uh, growing up watching this film, I, I didn't take anything deeper from it. Uh, but watching it, revisiting it, as we do on the podcast, because it is on uh, shit. It's on one of the. It's either on Netflix or Amazon, I believe. It's on one of those two. I think it's Netflix. It might be on both. Uh, but it is streaming if you haven't seen it, or if you wanted to revisit it. At least if you're in the United States, because I know the the cues and the films that are available are different on. Different, uh, different locales. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yep. But it's yeah. on Netflix. Gotcha. Yep. But anyway, as a film, this is one of those movies, like when we had the discussion about Red Dawn, or uh, I'm trying to think back of ones that we've done, but basically movies that really wouldn't get such a pass today without a lot of things changing. In modern day movies... It's you don't have a, a movie like this that it was widely released, although bombed at the box office, that had dealt heavily, heavily with teen suicide, especially in today's climate where, and not just uh, when I say teen suicide, it's murder 
disguising, being disguised as suicide, and the issue is both students murdering other students and then passing off as suicide, and then the fact that they're passing off the other murders as more copycat suicides. Mm-hmm. So it's deal, it's operating on multiple levels here, all of which in today's uh, in modern day, as of as in when we're recording this, is just you know you have uh, numerous cases all the time. I hate to say of people being bullied at school, and then oh they went and killed themselves, or or they went and shot up the school because they were an outcast, or a variety of things nowadays. It's not uncommon, and if you look through history, it's never been necessarily uncommon, but it has been less frequent. I mean, you had the tower shooter in uh, Austin, you know, in the seventies, I think it was, or late sixties. It was place Vietnam, I believe. So it was no, it was before it was before Vietnam. So it had to be late sixties, I think. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I watched it or looked that up. But anyway, so this is you know, it, it, it's a dark comedy, so it, it's it's a satire. It's making a a statement about something. So but it operates on multiple levels. Because you can watch it and it's funny in that dark way that everybody's gonna laugh at, whether you know, oh that's oh that's wrong, but <laughs> it's funny. Uh, you know, so, but it's definitely, a, it's a heavy movie, like, especially when you watch it as an adult. As a kid, it went over my head. I thought it was just funny. You know, just the strange things I didn't quite get happening and not having a concept at that point in my life of high school hierarchy about how cliques work in high school and all that kind of stuff. You know, so this is like, you know, Say by the Bell gave you that, uh, that ideal, oh yeah, high school's gonna be great, man. We're gonna hang out at the local <laughs> at the local dive after school, and you know I'm gonna have my nerd friend, my cheerleader friend, I'm gonna have a jock friend. And I'm gonna be maybe I don't know, maybe I'll be the jock friend. I don't know, but I'm probably gonna be the nerd friend. I don't know, you know, <laughs> whatever. And then, but Heather's is more like, yeah, this is really kind of what high school really, really is, without the murder so much. Depending on where you go to school, at, I hate to say, yeah, but uh, just in general terms of how people act and how high school. I think we said it. We said it before on another episode. I'm not sure which movie. It might have been when we were talking about Saved by the Bell, actually. Because it comes up every now and then. Mm. Not so much now that Danny wasn't here, but uh, just about how that ideal, what you expect, and then what you actually get. Because also, and let's also break it down, because Heather's is a movie that's written by people, by adults, well after high school, and they're analyzing this. Where Saved by the Bell was made for kids in high school and pre-high school. So you know, you're getting a different perspective one of which is definitely someone that's been through it and understands the satire and what they're trying to say with the film as opposed to you know, the surface level of the fact that young Jack Nicholson's going to kill everybody because he's psychotic. <laughs> so, see, I, I can't do a Jack Nicholson, but I can do a Christian Slater. <laughs> the Christian Slater is just a bad Jack Nicholson. Right, you're like halfway there. In his defense, he did state that he based his performance on Jack Nicholson in this film. And he even said that he, well, Christian Slater claims that he wrote a letter to Jack and never got a response back. Oh, so, wow. I can just see Jack, like, getting in, just burning it with a cigar, you know, yeah. like, burning the flame, like, fuck this, this guy. fucking kid. <laughs> Wait till he gets low to me. Because <laughs> he can't do a Jack. Right. He's going to do a Christian Slater. He's, like, yeah, he's, he's such a weasel. I don't know. I've never been a Christian Slater fan. I mean, I know, like, some, he was kind of like a heartthrob, I guess, to some, but, uh, not that he's bad, he just never did anything really good. Right. You know, I mean, I like Broken Arrow. Probably John Tries, like one of his better comeback films, aside from uh, Pulp Fiction, obviously. Uh, definitely better than Face Off. Definitely a better John Woo film. Right now is Mr. Robot, which I haven't started yet. Mm-hmm. Have you? Nope. 
Uh, I'm interested. Just <laughs> yeah, I'm interested too. I just haven't really gotten into it. Um, yeah, other than that, he plays uh, a lot of robot chicken voices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got, yeah, I need a voice. Need a Jack Nicholson impression. <laughs> <laughs> and he always did those really kitschy action films like Hard Rain, where like yep. you know when you had that string of uh, you know action movies, were like okay, we have a, one, you know. Basically, you take the Die Hard formula, and you got, okay, Under Siege, Die Hard on a boat. Yep. Under Siege 2, Die Hard on a train. <laughs> die Hard at an airport for Die Hard 2. Die Hard in a flood, hard rain. Die Hard in a uh, forest fire, firestorm. What about they, the wizard? Was he in that? Uh, oh, yeah. He, yeah, he was the, uh, uh, I remember that now. Not the brother, but the. Uh, yeah, he was the brother. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Because the kid with the power glove wasn't the brother. Right, right. Yeah, that was like, okay. It's been a long time since I've seen that. One that we've often, I've promised to do on the podcast uh, with John and, with John from Now vs. Nostalgia, but, no. <laughs> but he still got his jacket. <laughs> but, uh, oh yeah, Prince of Thieves, you know, like, uh, love Prince of Thieves as bad, you know, yeah. is it a good, is it a good movie? To me it is. You know, it's not one of the best movies ever made, but it's one of my favorite movies. I fucking love Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And thank God they didn't try to make Slater. Although, uh, it's funny because uh, this isn't 90s revisited, but I've always heard that uh, Kevin Costner really fought to, ha- like, oh, I can do an accent, I can do an accent. And right. they're just like, no, no, just don't. That's just why he's like, he's just Kevin Costner in it, which is fine. Because you got Alan Rickman chewing so much scenery, his accent covers everybody right, in the film. Right, right. But then there's a few parts where Christian Slater like slips in a little bit of an accent. Like, are you going to finish what you started? Like little, little, it's like, like they didn't catch it or they had, they had like, to use that take for some reason. Dare you or, let like, that go there. <laughs> you know, like Leo and uh, what was that? Gangs of New York. Oh. Every now and then is, that accent would slip a little bit, which unless it's like really blatant, it doesn't bother me. But, mm. you know, so I'm, I'm not a Christian Slater fan and I don't hate him, but I don't like him. You know, like I'm not gonna be like, oh shit, Christian Slater's in that shit. We better watch it. Alone in the dark. I don't care if you Bowl's doing it. Christian Slater's in it. But, uh. Yeah, so he's definitely not a draw for me, but this uh, they him in this role in Heather's is good uh, for that. Even though again he's he's chewing a little scenery himself in this, pretending to be Jack Nicholson. But for what the film is and the tone and everything, I think all the all the different aspects of this movie come together to make something that's it's definitely a unique film for its time and one of those like well we mentioned the trilogy. I mean, they have a musical about it for some reason. Uh, they're trying to get. They have a few episodes of a show. They're trying to shop around. It looked like from what we were seeing on IMDb. I just don't know how that's going to work today, or how they're going to. We were talking about it off the air. Yeah. Uh, you know how? Or you take this subject matter that's really more predominant and, for lack of a better word, that I hate to use, offensive to more people today than it was then. So it's going to be interesting. But here's the here's the, here's the good news. The little clip we heard from the musical wasn't very good. I'm not putting any stock in the oh, show, yeah, yeah. but you can always go watch. You can go watch the movie right now on Netflix, and the movie's great. It's a fantastic film. Uh, even if you like, I don't like. You know, it's kind of a you know some. I don't watch movies where like the top bet three actors are girls, bro. That's kind of dumb. Uh, it's a good movie. Period. It's just an. It's entertaining. It's got a message. It's it's not really heavy handed, but you really got to like think of the themes that they're using. Which makes it enjoyable, especially as an adult, as opposed to when I was 12, 13, probably actually seeing it around the age that I saw it for the first time. Just like, I don't, 
whatever, but sure it's good to look at. Hmm. But it's really good. So if you, if, if you haven't seen it, recommend it. Uh, it's definitely, well, I think I was about to repeat myself, but whatever. But you never saw it, right, Justin? We talked off the air. I did not. Yeah, yeah, but I would recommend it that if you're I've looking for busy. something to watch. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's got something to say, even though it's, it's such an 80s movie. Like, when they walk out, I mean, this is 89. This is like the transference of 80s fashion into the loudness of what the 90s became. So when you have like 80s nights at uh, some local bars and I see pictures, I'm like, they're not dressed like the 80s. These motherfuckers are dressed like the 90s. <laughs> yeah. This is like, if you watch this, this is, this is where the 90s start, like that 90s fashion. The tail end of the 80s is what pushed into the 90s and made it, except they made it neon and even weirder, I think. But <laughs> you, you see it in here, you know, with the hat, the Molly Ringwald hats and all that kind of stuff. It's obviously a, a tried and true 80s thing, but you get into the uh, shoulder pads and just all sorts of, you know, the, the guys with the bigger jackets, mm-hmm. like a size too big, like, you know, Christian Slater's wearing in here and <laughs> all that stuff. But yeah, bottom line, it's worth checking out. It's worth revisiting. And if you haven't seen it, you know, let us know what you think. 80sVisit at gmail.com. And it's always cool to, uh, I enjoy seeing actors when they show up as babies in terms of like how young like Shannon Doherty is, how young Wyonona Ryder is. What did we watch the other night? You know, I watched something like, and she was like, oh my God, they're babies. Shit, what did we watch? Oh man, it's going to bug me now. Fuck. <laughs> we watched someone, she was just like, oh, look how young everybody is. It like took her back, like, uh, oh my God. I just watched whatever I'm trying to say. I can't think about it. Son nobody of a bitch. Nobody can even guess that. Nobody can, yeah, nobody can help me. I didn't tag <laughs> it on Facebook or anything, what we were watching. Son of a yeah. bitch. That, that is like literally like eating away at me. Anyway, I'll just keep talking and maybe it'll come to me. But uh, as I mentioned, <laughs> some of the trivia, as I mentioned, Slater's uh, basis performance on Jack Nicholson. And originally, the book that the students were supposedly, that would, they would use to underline messages in it, in the movie, it's Moby Dick. But they wanted Catcher in the Rye, but they couldn't get permission from J.D. Salinger to use it. But also, of course, Catcher in the Rye is already infamous because, you know, Mark David Chapman shoots John Lennon and then sits down and pulls out his copy of the book and starts reading it. So that would just, that would just add it to the infamy of the book had it been in this movie. Catcher in the Rye is about like a discontent youth, which is a, the theme of this film for the most part. So it all kind of goes together, but uh, they made it work with Moby Dick. And it was also public domain, so they could just use it without having to do, worry anything about it. Uh, this is actually considered one of the most controversial movies ever made. Uh, definitely in, uh, that, in the genre of controversial movies in terms of high school, ex- the high school experience, this ranks right up there at the top. Uh, when it was released, many people thought it was making fun of suicide, but now, and today... It's more controversial because kind of what we were, I was talking about before because of more so the school shootings. Although, now it's both. No matter which, which side you fall on because of the big bullying aspect, which is present in this film too about them bullying the fat girl, the girl who's you know, not quite cool because she wears glasses or you know, whatever. Uh, so all these elements are here. And you know, that's, to me, it reinforces the fact that that's not something that just happened in this generation. This has been going on since the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, but today, the, the real issue is, is that the point of it, I guess, that people need to reinforce it to understand is like, you, you know, you get people that are like, yeah, you know, this is going on forever. Like, kids need to toughen up. The problem today is they can't get away from it because social media is everywhere. You know, especially with kids. They want to be cool. They got to have whatever new gram or whatever thing is. <laughs> uh, I just got a text from Matt and it distracted me because my uh, bike got stolen. Right, right. And he just texted me that one of Kara's bandmates, Matt's girlfriend, lives in my apartment complex, which didn't know. But his car got broken into last night and stole band gear. Holy shit. Fucking savages in this town, man. It used yeah. to be such a nice place. 
<laughs> and you live in a nice place too. Yeah, like you know, arguably one of the nicer location-wise, especially. Right. But that, that's obviously what makes it a target. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but thankfully, my complex is working on making improvements. But this is just random. That's the fourth, third time something's happened this week. Mm. So that that pisses me off. But anyway, God damn it! <laughs> Back to the podcast. <laughs> just hate thieves, except Robin Hood. <laughs> Prince of Thieves. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the names for you know, and, uh, Winona Ryder plays Veronica Sawyer, and her friend in the movie, the kind of nerdy girl that comes back around, she wants to be friends with her again because she's tired of this social high school hierarchy, like I mentioned earlier, is Betty Finn. Well, the names are taken, obviously, if you think about it, Betty and Veronica from Archie, last name Sawyer and Finn, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. Mm-hmm. So some allusion in that name. And I thought this was really interesting. Uh, the screenwriter, Daniel Waters, he, he wrote this film for Stanley Kubrick to direct, which would have been very interesting, and who knows where Kubrick would have taken it. Mm. However, well, his logic, the reason he did that was because at that time, 1989, he believed Kubrick was the only one who could get away making a three-hour movie. If only he held on to that script for about ten more years, his director choices would have opened up uh, a lot. Nolan, Jackson... Yeah, Spielberg even everybody's doing the three hour thing uh, but anyway the original screenplay had a very different ending in which Veronica actually killed JD by shooting him and then she strapped the bomb to herself and blow, blowed up uh, blowed up uh, <laughs> and blowing up herself out in front of the school like JD does in this movie spoiler alert uh, what is placed in the final ending is JD's boiler room speech about quote imagine I blew up the school imagine I blew up all the schools is contained in a suicide note which is found in Veronica's locker by Shannon Doherty and her friend Betty, or Veronica's friend Betty. So if you haven't seen the movie, this is going over your head. Uh, but then the movie would then end <laughs> with an eerie prom sequence set in heaven, tying into what J.D. said earlier, that the only place everyone will truly get along is in heaven. So a little more surreal, and there are very surreal elements in this film. Uh, so that really would have would have been interesting. I don't, know, I don't have it on Blu-ray or DVD, so I'm not sure if that was even filmed or anything. It just said the original screenplay, but... It, it does make sense for the context of the film. I can see how the, they thought about that thought process and I guess in discussing how they would do it and all that obviously wouldn't work out and they, I trust them that they made the right decision because I have no complaints with this film, to be honest. And uh, Daniel Waters, the writer again, he also sent an interview. He came with a crazy cockamamie Heathers 2 where Veronica becomes a page for a senator named Heather, played by Meryl Streep, and the ending is her assassinating the president and getting away with it. And it's a good thing, he says. Uh, Winona Ryder herself heavily supported the idea for a sequel, but as of 2014, nothing has come of it. And as I mentioned, uh, the musical was actually in 2010, and the TV series is kind of still being shopped around to find a network. Apparently the Paramount Network, it said, Jesse? Yeah. Something like that. So they, they can't find anywhere, anywhere to put it just yet. Maybe because it's the subject matter is actually in line with the movie, and they don't know who wants to kind of promote that or have be the bearer of that. But we'll see. Body count. There's a body count in this movie. It's low, very low, probably one of the lowest ever on here, but it's there. It's four. Mm. Uh, matter of fact, because of the subject matter, Winona's writer agent begged her not to be in the movie, and he qu- was quoted as saying her career would be over if she took this role, whereas it was pretty much the opposite yeah. for the most part. Uh, uh, she went on to better things. Paramount Network? Uh, Spike TV is becoming the Paramount Network. Ah. Hmm. I wonder why they're switching it. Eh, they do that. We need rebranding. Spike TV was the bro network, yo. Yeah, not anymore. Thousand Ways to Die and other bro shows. (laughs) Bro shows. I don't know. Bro shows. (laughs) 
South Park reference, except with a different word. Yeah. Uh, and actually, it was this film, it was due to this film being seen by Tori Spelling, who recommended to her father, Aaron Spelling, that Shannon should be cast in his new show about high school, Beverly Hills 90210. So Shannon Doherty's career, career, career really kind of kicked off because of her role in this film. So good for her. Uh, Brad Pitt almost won the role of JD, which would have been interesting. Mm. Uh, and also up for that role were Judd Nelson, Jim Carrey, and Justin Bateman were also, they were all considered. Jim uh, Carrey, huh? He can, wow. If you notice, like, he's the most, like, in terms of, like, this what-if kind of thing we talk about, like, his name comes up a lot in these movies. Sure. But, you know, this is before he was famous, so yeah, he, he went to a lot of auditions. Mm-hmm. He worked yeah, he was to, getting out, to get out there. Uh, Drew Barrymore auditioned, not sure for what role. However, the role for, of Veronica was actually written for Jennifer Connelly, who turned it down because of the subject matter. Mm. But I think because of, you know, Molly Ringwald's the prom queen, whereas Winona Ryder's like the one that really kind of should be the prom queen kind of dynamic in her movies. Like she's actually more of the deserving one for the most part. I mean, that comes to her senses, that's caught up in stuff, and she's not popular because of that or whatever. Uh, so I definitely think that they did a good job with the casting in this, having her in this role. Uh, let's see. This was this was actually kind of creepy. So this is an ooky spooky thing. Two people in this film died young in ways that were, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Prophesied in this film. Mm. Jeremy Applegate, who when we were watching, looking for an opening thing, he was in his prayer sequence over Heather's grave where he's like, please don't ever let me commit suicide. Yeah, he actually committed suicide on mm. uh, March 23rd, 2000. And Kim Walker, the character who was Heather, who he was praying over, mentions in the film, did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And she died of a brain tumor in 2001. Wow. So kind of creepy. There's a curse on the film. It's yeah. a death curse. <laughs> the quote Friday the 13th. Uh, the name Heather is said 90 times in this movie. Oh, boy. Which still doesn't compare to the number of fucks in Scarface. Yeah. <laughs> but 90 times is still a lot for one word to reoccur that's not like, you know, the, to, at. Yeah. You know, in a film. So a proper noun. For a proper noun to appear 90 times in a script is a lot. Uh, this is actually ranked number five on Entertainment Weekly's 50 Best High School Movies, a list that they made in 2006. And actually, it's number 412 on Empire's Top 500 Films list. Uh, I'm not going to argue anybody's opinion. On that, I think it's a great film. Uh, I don't think... If I had to make a 500 film list, it would probably be on there. But that's, a, that's too long to make a list. I don't care for a 500 film list. Because that's just like saying, okay, we're going to do a, a list that's so obnoxiously long, we're not going to offend anybody. Everybody's favorites are going to be somewhere in there. No, nah, keep going. 25, 10, 5. Keep it small. Uh, let's see. Score-wise, I'd give it a 7.5. Nothing... I mean, it's not one you're going to watch regularly. It's not like funny enough to just watch it, like, you know, watch on repeat, like a Tropic Thunder or a Three Amigos. Uh, but it's worth, you know, with, when you've kind of forgotten it in your gray matter. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I like that movie. I'll check it out again. It's a fun one just to leave on for background noise if you're house cleaning kind of thing. You know, it's not like a Mad Max Fury Road where I'm going to watch it. You know, put, have the, uh, the digital file on my iPad to watch when I travel or something. Mm. Uh, but again, this is a cult film. Uh, it's, not revered is the wrong word, but uh, this well, it's revered to some. But I mean, it's it's looked upon now much more favorably than it ever was at its release, which is pretty much the definition of a cult film for the most part in a lot of regards. 
Mm, excuse me. So that kind of does it for Heather's. Let us know what you think. 80srevisited at gmail.com or uh, at, or also 80s Revisited, uh, I'm sorry, at 80s Revisited on Twitter, mm-hmm. at Awesome Pods, on Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Let us know what you think uh, and all that. So uh, back to the future this week. It's, I know it's been a while. Uh, my parents are in town, so that really takes up a lot of my time and mental energy. And I was out of town last week, so. Yeah, so sorry about that, but, uh, I think I talked to you about the Dark Tower, but did I don't think we talked about it on the air. I don't think so. But anyway, I don't know. I liked it. I think I, we talked about it on the air. Okay, we'll see. In that case, I'll do a really quick thing just in case because <laughs> yeah. I didn't listen to last episode before I got here. Well, anyway, yeah, Dark Tower. I've heard that if you like, if you read all the books, you'll probably appreciate what they did to fit it into an hour and forty-five minutes. <laughs> uh, I'm only halfway through the books, and I just didn't like the tone of the film. A little too clean, a little too bright, a little too happy. Mm. Uh, in terms of the atmosphere of it, it, it didn't seem dark. It didn't seem like a wasteland, like it's kind of meant to be in the book to me. But uh, Elba and McConaughey were great. I just don't like that trope. Okay, I think I did talk about this on podcast, or yeah. we talked about it. Because I remember mentioning that trope to you about uh, uh, Fish Out of Water, Stranger in a Strange Land. So it probably was on the podcast. So sorry about that, guys and girls. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, also... Uh, for a little bit of nostalgia, I don't think it came out in the 80s, but it, I think it was early 90s, but Night Trap for Sega CD, uh, that game was just re-released and remastered for PlayStation, uh, and I got a physical copy from Little Limited Run Games, so that's a little bit of nostalgia. Mm. They haven't got it in yet, so I haven't got to play it, but if you have a PlayStation and you want to play Night Trap, it should be available for download as we speak. Uh, and what else? I wish I could remember that damn movie I watched where everybody looked like fucking two-year-olds. Still can't remember it. <laughs> Tune in next week for that one. But uh, what have you been up to, Jesse? Anything you been watching, reading, playing? Uh, not so much. Uh, just a lot of busy, busy stuff. That's why. Yeah, the past I'm two weeks have down. just been like a blow. And there's not really any movies coming out that I want to see in the theater, at least until it, early September. So I do want to see Logan Lucky, but that I'll yeah, I'll so, watch so that at home. I don't need to spend you know, free passes at a movie theater to see that one. Uh, Hitman's Bodyguard. Bodyguard. Uh, Autumn wants to see that for. Watched a couple of Netflix movies. Like I watched that uh, Okja. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like some hippopotamus or something. That one. It's it's a super pig. Okay. Like you know, made for uh, food. Makes you want to not eat meat after you. <laughs> but I still do. I still eat meat. Meat's just too good. Yeah, I meat's mean, just too good. But yeah, I could see how somebody. Changes that because you know, I mean, so many films have shown the inside of a slaughterhouse, yeah, but you know, they go through that process and just make you know and not eat meat. Because yeah, I think they're about to cover that on the Asia Mania podcast. Because I remember seeing the picture of it like the, the uh, thumbnail on IMDb, I mean, uh, Netflix, and like, what the hell is this? <laughs> well, I want to so say it, it, my interest was sparked as to what it is, but I've heard you know, it's, it's not a kid's movie, it's like a oh, no, not at all. Yes. But I really like the slew of actors in it. Mm-hmm. Um, they all did a great job. Like, I like Paul Dano and the stuff he does, mm-hmm. and he just does more of his Paul Dano stuff. Stuff, he does <laughs> yeah. <in every movie. laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, also, I wanted to see what Glenn was up to since you know Walking Dead. Since Walking Dead, hmm. and uh, you know he's in there too. But um, yeah, it's a good watch. The effects are great. I don't, I nice. don't really see any flaws in the effects. Very high end. I think Netflix is going to take over the world. <laughs> well, I don't know if they're losing the Disney. You know, Disney's separating from them now. That's going to take a big chunk yeah. of their 
I don't think it'll be enough, though. I, think, I don't think it will be. It doesn't yeah. sway me because we yeah. have most of the Disney movies on Blu-ray anyway. So. Right, right. And they're at a point now where like, okay, we'll, we'll be our own Disney. We got a slew of good writers and everything. Well, I mean, they do. Yeah. <laughs> so they can do that. But, you know, Netflix is killing a lot of the original stuff. Is uh has been pretty good. The ones that I've seen, their documentaries are uh, really good. But uh, yeah, they're this one's been on my radar. I definitely want to watch it. And like Brad Pitt produces everything now that's on Netflix. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he must have bought some stock in it. Yeah, he must have. But uh, and then I watched The Founder again because somebody hadn't watched it. But um, that's always a good movie. Yeah, um, Keaton's Mc- are so great. McDonald's is one of my customers, so I always support that. <laughs> Yeah. But that's all the watching I've been doing. Yep. I wish I had some more fun stuff to talk about, but ain't shit been happening. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> lots, of, media releases lots of board right game stuff, but you yeah. know, if y'all want to hear more about that, just write us. Yeah. Otherwise, talk. I'll keep it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before we wrap up, I did, uh, uh, on one of the most recent episodes, actually, I did watch something. I can bring it up here. Now, to lead into segue to this next top five list, uh, on the Asia Mania podcast, Ben mentioned that there was a Scooby-Doo and Kiss crossover little movie. Scooby-Doo meets Kiss, whatever it's called. And how he said, like, as an adult and a Kiss fan, it was actually really entertaining. So, naturally, I watched it, and he was absolutely right. <laughs> uh, it was fun. It was, you know, it, it was a good mix between the kids' Scooby-Doo aspect, but then, like, a lot of Kiss in-jokes. Uh, totally silly and ridiculous. You know, it, because, you know... <laughs> I'm a Kiss fan, but they are so self-promoting, and they make fun of it so well in this. <laughs> so it, it works out really good. It was it was very entertaining. If you're like if you're a Kiss fan, it, it's something definitely I would recommend. But uh, as we were, I listened to Ben talk about it, and he was saying, "Oh yeah, I'm a Kiss fan." But I'm like, "Okay, interesting." So I sent I sent him a message. So what's your top five Kiss songs? Well, if you want to hear Ben's top five Kiss songs, listen to the latest episode of Asia Mania. But my top five Kiss songs in the meantime. <laughs> Uh, no particular order. These are just the five. If I had to only pick five to put on a playlist and listen to, these would be the five I'd pick. Uh, gotta go. The first one, Do You Love Me? Just classic Kiss. Uh, and then I'll go with one of, uh, one of their more recent ones off the Psycho Circus album, Raise Your Glasses. Uh, it's sort of like, it's almost like a modern We Are The Champions type song. It's just kind of a pump-ups type song. Uh, God Gave Rock and Roll To You. Can't have to have it on there. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Right, right. I mean, is, is it a Kiss song, or did Bill and Ted write it and come back in time, you know, through all their time travel shenanigans and all that fun stuff? But it's actually a cover, which is why the song's called God Gave Rock and Roll to You, and they have two behind it, like I.I. All right. Because it was actually uh, Argent, I think was the band name that uh, originally sang it. But Kiss owns it. This, their version is way better. Uh, much, you know, they, they put the, their little rock spin to it and... Uh, speed it up and great guitar licks, especially the Steve Vai intro from Bogus Journey's version of the song. Mm. Badass. And then with two left, I have to go with Beth. Beth is probably one of the best songs of all time to me. That's just a, <laughs> that's just a great simple does its job. Yeah, you know, just and what you know, great boys will be. You know, uh, it ends like getting off the phone. You know, it's telling a story just that easy. <laughs> fantastic song and also I bet it pisses Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley off so much Beth is their most like highest charting song I believe from what I was reading <laughs> and it was a Peter Chris song because oh, yeah. you know Stanley and uh, Simmons don't you know they've had a falling out again multiple times with Freely and uh, Peter Chris 
so, but number, not number one, but my, probably, honestly, you could say it's my number one, but the, the Kiss song, when, it, when somebody says Kiss, the immediate thing I think of is the Love Gun album cover. Right. And thus, Love Gun. Love it's Gun. It's just so rocking, and it's so inappropriate yeah. to sing, you know, and depending on who's around, but it's, uh, that, that is Kiss, you know, to me. But, uh, God, the song's so fucking good. Never seen the video. Oh, they're actually playing it as though they're in the house with Beth. <laughs> yeah, she's like right there. God, I love kids. Ta- very talented. And like, they're, I, I think musically they're underappreciated because people just, because of the showmanship and the self-promotion, that I'm, I think the music gets lost a lot when it comes to the Kiss. Like, a lot of people don't like Everybody knows who Kiss is, mm-hmm. but not many people can name a Kiss song... Maybe more than two or three of them, right? You know, but they're they're they are a band first and foremost, and they're but they did every they're like the George Lucas of the music industry, yeah. If you yeah. want to look at it that way, they have a product and they marketed the fuck out of it, yep. Still and they do. still do, still yeah. Do. You know, Gene Simmons trying to like copyright, you know, the I Devil's know, Horns. Uh, no, nah, bro, you can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> and you didn't do it to begin with. That's that's been something long before that. <laughs> and if any musician was going to lay claim to it, it should be Dio. Rest in peace, Metal God. Yeah. But yeah, that kind of does it for this episode, I believe. Double checking my notes. Yeah, uh, shout outs, as always. Don't forget our uh, good friends, Now vs. Nostalgia, John and James. And I've mentioned before, Ben Y with the Asia Mania podcast. He keeps episodes coming out constantly on his feed, so be sure to check that out. And also, uh, former uh, Geekly Dose host Tim Broad- Bridgewater still does his Dragon Ball and uh, Rock the Dragon podcast. So check that out. And, you know, if you don't know who Kiss is, give them a listen. Yeah. Or if you only know a couple of songs, you know, you go start with my top five list, cross-reference it with Ben's, give them some listen. Listen to the songs and don't get caught up in the hype of, you know, all the other stuff that distracts people, I think, from the actual skill and talent that they had as a band. Because they're very <laughs> talented. But, uh, so that does it. So uh, next week, we're just going to do a, an easy one. My best of 85. Haven't done one in a while. Trying to get all the decades... Uh, all the uh, weird years, I should say, taken care of. So working our way up to that juggernaut of 86. But, you know, as we're doing these, yeah. it's just like maybe 86 wasn't all it was cracked up to be, if you look at it in the big picture. So, But we'll see when we get there. So, so until next time, I remain Trey Harris. And Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! this show and more on facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on twitter at awesome pods